and you're listening to Fatcast, <laughs> and I am a Leslie, and with me, as always, is Marianne. <laughs> there she is, whooping. Even more woo! <laughs> Extra levels of woo! Additional woos. Yeah. Um, we are, Marianne, what are we talking about in this um, cast? Well, <laughs> it's not like an easily sum-upable topic, so I will not sum up, I will explain in the grand tradition of Inigo Montoya. <laughs> Just saying. So, you know how we're always telling people not to put their lives on hold, to live their lives and go do whatever the shit they want to, instead of waiting to lose weight. Um, so I, I thought, I don't know what you thought, I thought we would talk about some of those other things you can do. Um, obviously, we are represented by our fatness online. Um, That's like our primary identity in some spheres. And yet that's not really my primary identity um, in my living room Mm -hmm. so much. So I kind of wanted to, I don't know, talk about how we, are you ready for the cliche? I'm ready. I wanted to talk about how we walk that particular walk of not putting our lives on hold. Interesting. Yeah. How do we face the uncertainty of, you know, it's it's very, because it's true, it's very easy to be, you know, tumbling and saying, <laughs> and saying, you know, like, oh, like, you know, don't, don't put off. <laughs> don't put off that trip to Paris. You can go as a great big badass. Um, it's easy. I mean, this is all stuff that's really, or even just, you know, take a dance class or for fuck's sake, a yoga class. Um, something, you know, that, that you might have considered off limits to you because you're fat. Um, I think that even small things can be, defi- can definitely <laughs> be, can definitely be a challenge when you're, you know, when you're, you're carrying around, even if intellectually, it's very easy intellectually to sort of accept. And we, I run into this. I'm sure you get these emails, too. I get lots of emails from people who say, you know, I love this idea, and I sort of half believe it, and then I go out into my actual life, and I just fall apart. Yeah. And um, I think that that is a really valid experience, for one thing. I don't want to tell anyone that they're doing it wrong or anything like that, because there is no wrong way to do it. Um, but I think that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a challenge worth acknowledging. It's, it's an, as an intellectual concept, yes, I should not hate my body. That's something that very few people, I think, I mean, I, I know there's people out there who'd be like, yes, fat people should hate their bodies, but they're bad, mean, horrible people. And, you know, generally speaking, people who like you are going to tell you, no, you should not hate your body. Um, you should, you know, they might throw in sort of a backhanded, you should take care of your body, which can mean different things depending on the context. But aside from as an intellectual idea, when we're actually talking about going out and like, you know, shaking our asses on a dance floor, that's a little bit different than the intellectual idea. Because unfortunately, everyone around when you're shaking said ass won't necessarily know the intellectual motivation behind it. And well, not not only that, but there are certain challenges that, I mean, you you say, okay, I don't hate my body, I'm going to go out and do this thing. There are still certain accommodations that you sometimes have to make for your big fat body. Mm-hmm. And 
to be able to deal with that in a way that does not send you into a spiral of self-loathing is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you mentioned dance lessons. Some women at the office were like, we're going to take salsa. So I take salsa lessons on Tuesdays. That's mm-hmm. very exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I have to sort of negotiate with myself is, okay, you know, this is an hour-long, fairly intensive dance class with my coworkers. What, you know, what accommodations do I need to make for me? You know, the... That's not a super great example because the biggest thing is that I need to make sure I bring a bottle of water so I don't keel over and die. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's other activities that you have to kind of plan for a little better. Well, I mean, something as simple as going out to dinner with a bunch of friends. If, you know, your friends choose, and I've run into this um more than once, particularly in strange cities. Um, if your friends choose like a bar that's like a tiny, tiny little bar, um, as you find in places, um, and maybe, you know, there's not a whole lot of room to maneuver, or maybe it has little tiny booths or chairs that are, you know, super uncomfortable for a fat ass to jam into. Um, you know, these are all things that basically you have to, I mean, this is the hardest part is you have to truly value your body in order to feel your worth asking for these accommodations, that it's a reasonable thing. If you don't value your body, it's very easy to say, you know, well, it's my body's fault and I shouldn't, you know, if I'm asking for accommodations, I'm just being a bother and I'm going to mess up everybody else's good time and I don't want to do that because it's not worth it. You have to believe that it's worth it for your comfort and happiness, because it is. Um, so, you know, if your friends are all like, hey, let's go to tiny little skinny bar, and, you know, you're sort of uncomfortable with that, you can always, you are totally, you know, in, enabled to say, um, hey, why don't we go to slightly wider bar? <laughs> <laughs> You know, where I can be a little more comfortable. You don't necessarily have to sort of specify your reasons, but you do have to believe that you are worth asking for your comfort. Your comfort is worth asking for accommodation. I want there to be a bar called Slightly Wider Bar so much. I would go there all the time. If somebody wants to give me a capital, the capital for it, I will go to Brooklyn and open it <laughs> and run it. The the bar we went to in Brooklyn did did have pretty nice accommodations for the fatties. Um, I have to have to give a shout out to the the Clover Club for that. Oh yeah, well they gave us a whole room. I know because um, we're, ta- we were fat. We're discussing about the uh, Fat Girl Flea Market weekend. Um, a bunch of us went out drinking one night, and uh, we wound up at this place called the Clover Club. And you know, actually, we came in, and they were like, "Yeah, we don't have room for you guys." And then they sort of stood around for a minute, and then it's like, oh, "Okay." And they gave us the whole back room of the bar, which had been closed up until that point, which was awesome because we had all kinds of space. And that's that's actually a really good example because that is an example of us saying we need room. Can you supply the room? And, you know, their knee-jerk reaction was, no, go away. But, you know, very quickly they said, yes, actually, we can. Now that we've thought about it, we can supply you with the room. And, you know, it's perfectly reasonable for you guys to ask. So, Well, we um, had, like, 12 fat ladies and a skinny dude. Yeah. 
and we weren't going to be able to just sort of press our way up against the bar. Right. So. Totally. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, a kind of a critical thing is feeling, learning to feel comfortable asking for those kinds of accommodations. And even if it's not just a space thing, there's lots of other examples that I'm sure people are currently thinking of, of circumstances they've been in where, you know, it wasn't as comfortable as they would like it to be. Um, you know, it's like if I'm if I'm polling my friends for what's a good yoga class I can take, I'm probably going to specify it needs to be a yoga class where they're not going to talk about how much fat we're blasting or, you know, how much weight we're losing or how much the slender fizes your butt or whatever. <laughs> you know, because that's an accommodation that I require in order to be comfortable in that space. So, Does fat blasting ever make you think of a video game? Um, it actually makes me think of, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, like you know, it makes me think of, like, asteroids or something. Or fat invaders. Fat invaders. <laughs> but, yeah, now I always think of those horrible um, workout videos. Because, they're, seriously, if you go to Amazon.com and, like, search fat blast. There's like a hundred <laughs> that are yeah. all about, you know, being very, very violent to your fat, which I've always found kind of fascinating. But, um, but yeah, so that's, you know, that's a, one such example. Well, I think what stresses people out about it is the embarrassment factor. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm calling extra attention to myself. I'm making people, you know take notice of me. I'm making people do special things for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a combination of, you know, sort of body loathing, but also, especially when it comes to women, the idea that we are supposed to be the ones taking care of other people. It's selfish to ask people to do things for you. That whole nasty bit yeah. of uh, of social construction. So, I mean, I think that there's two things going on, and we have to be aware of both of them, and we have to counter both of them in order to say, you know what? Those little tiny fucking chairs are not going to accommodate my wits. Mm-hmm. I need an armless chair, please. Yeah. You know, and you don't even have to get specific about why you need an armless chair. Just, I need another chair. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about your particular style of dealing with things. Um, I'm a terrible person, so I tend towards the the, the confrontational fat. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole, my, my ass is not going to fit in that, can you bring me something where I can sit down, um, is not I, embarrassing to me anymore. I tend to do that, too, for a different, like, I, I my go-to phrase is always, that chair is not fat enough for me. Yeah. Um, which I I actually like it a I like it because it's confrontational because I just like that, but also because usually the person you're talking to is so sort of astonished that yeah. they will immediately do what you ask without asking any questions or demanding that you sort of validate your need. Um, because, you know, that's sort of like a human response where <laughs> someone says something, it makes you really uncomfortable, you just want to give them what they need so they will go away. And that seems to be my my approach in, in such circumstances. The whole um, taking care of people thing actually reminds me, there's this... 
the bane of my existence in the morning is the stupid Amica car insurance commercials that they play. And one of them really makes me savvy. They're all really stupid and annoying. But one of them um, has this woman who looks like your standard white mom lady. Um, who's, I think she's like standing next to a minivan or something. And she says, I like taking care of things. My kids, my dog, my hydrangeas. So it's really nice when someone takes care of me. And <laughs> I want to punch the TV every time because it's like, even in this commercial, this woman is not enabled. And I know it's not actually her. I know somebody wrote the script, but the fact that the script was written this way is really annoying right. to me. Um, this woman is not enabled to say, it's nice when someone takes care of me. She has to first justify it by talking about all of the things that she takes care of. And even then, she's not allowed to say, well, I get really tired being the caretaker all the time. She has to say how much she likes taking care of all of these other people. And, and then, she has to be cutesy about it, so it's yeah. not threatening. And, you know, my hydrangeas, like, I mean, seriously, lady, <laughs> like, seriously, Hydrangeas don't require that much care. You know, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's it's just this, this stupid little intro to sort of validate that, well, she's saying it's nice that it, that the stupid fucking car insurance company with their terrible goddamn commercials that I hate, it's, it's nice that they're taking care of her, but she's not allowed to be like, yeah, you know what, sometimes I want to throttle my children, <laughs> when that is a normal thing to feel on occasion. It's bad to act on it, but I don't know many parents who at one point or another are like, oh, my God, you guys are, are completely going to drive me out of the house screaming into the street. <laughs> I feel like that should be something that is, is a, a, a valid thing to express, and it should be valid for her to say, it's nice sometimes when someone takes care of me without having to justify it. But I know I'm ranting here, but I really hate this commercial, and it's been, Apparently. Bottled, up like, it's been bottled up for like a year because they run it like three times every morning. Um, you know what we don't have in Florida? What? That car insurance company. Yeah. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, and I'm picturing yeah. it, and it's terrible, but I can't, like, I don't know. I can't generate the same rage level. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I mean, like I said, I, I see this at least once every morning, and it, it makes me positively vicious because I'm just so tired of it. But yeah, so that's that's sort of that's what I thought of when you were talking about the whole caretaking angle because that's yeah. just another example of something that I'm sure a lot of people just watch and don't really think twice about, but I see it every morning and I'm like, why can't she just say it's nice that Amika takes care of me? Not that I also take care of all these other people like a good lady should. So, that's my I'll let you talk for a few minutes since I I've, I've ranted. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to rant. It's all good. Um, <laughs> it's it's very very good. It's cathartic. It is cathartic, but feel, it's not. Um, it it's not anything that you do that that isn't fat. What do you do that isn't fat, Leslie? You know that's a hard question for me to be honest because. I don't know that I'm a good person to ask <laughs> because there isn't much that I do that isn't informed. I'm such a radicalized activist and I have been for so long and I spent so long, you know, even as an academic thinking critically about pretty much everything my eyes touched upon throughout the course of a day and every thought that flew through my head. There are things that I do that I guess technically have nothing to do with being fat, 
um, that are not fat things, but I, I kind of have this constant hyper-awareness about it, not to the extent that it prevents me from doing stuff, which I think is sort of the typical response, is if you're constantly aware of being fat, then you might be less likely to, you know, take that dance class or to get on that plane or whatever. For Let me, me rephrase the question. Yeah, rephrase the question. Let me rephrase the question, because that speaks to me not of doing specifically fat things, but of doing things while fat with an awareness of what your body needs. Yes. And the context in which you move through the world, which I think is a different kind of activity than what I was sort of classifying in my own head as fat things, um, where you're sort of, we both spend a lot of time saying the word fat and specifically talking to people um, and, and doing sort of Face-to-face activism isn't quite the right term, uh, since a lot of it is on the internets or over the radio or whatever. Mm. But, you know, person-to-person activism. Um, When I go to dance class, that is still happening in the context of my fat. And I'm still aware of the things that, you know, may or may not happen there because I'm fat. Um, And... And that sort of thing. So my fat is certainly integrated into the activity because it's part of my body. But I wouldn't say it's a specifically fat activity. Mm-hmm. You know, painting miniatures, not a specifically fat activity, even though it's couched in, you know, I don't know, the the context of discussions about bodies, that sort of thing. What if your fingers are fat? <laughs> then maybe you use different brushes, but that's still not. What if your belly talking... prevents you, you hunching over the bench to do the painting? What if you're a bad person, Leslie? <laughs> what sorry, if I sorry. don't like you anymore? <laughs> uh, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm being a wise ass. Go yes, for it. you are. No, you know what I mean, though. <laughs> like we go do these things as fat people, mm-hmm. and sometimes. You know, sometimes when you're shopping, there is that moment where you are performing activism very deliberately. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of, like, passive activism that happens, too. You know, just because we're going out and being visible. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's kind of, maybe that's kind of part of why it's a hard topic to, to talk about in any concrete term, because... I mean, our bodies are always political because mm-hmm. people are viewing them um, in that sense as much as I rail against the notion of body as consumable product. Mm-hmm. You know, de- we're not designed and packaged for viewers. Yeah. Um, I am still aware that there are viewers with differing philosophical approaches to, to bodies. Right. Um when you go to the hardware store to build a lattice for plants, you know, certainly that's taking place in the context of your fat life, Mm -hmm. but you're also just building a lattice for plants. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I see, I see where you're going. It's, it's tough for me because I, I tend to contextualize body politics in everything. So like, 
going to the beach is not a fat activity, and yet my being fat is actually kind of critical in my experience of that activity insofar as, you know, being in a bathing suit on a beach means I'm, you know, putting myself at risk of being harassed for... Absolutely, but it's also something you would do if you were a smaller person or a fatter person. Right. Because you like going to the beach. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, you'll like going to the beach. And there are people who haven't worn swimsuits for years, even though they like going to the beach, because it's a stressful thing for some fat people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the sort of process of... I don't know, of acknowledging that we are putting ourselves in this context, but still doing the things that we want to do is kind of the critical point. Mm -hmm. You know, because, yes, if you fly to Paris as a fat ass, you're probably going to be uncomfortable on the plane. Mm -hmm. But you can still go to Paris as a fat ass. Well, that's, that's something that, you know, that's another example that I've experienced, like, several times over the past year is not going to Europe, but going across country to the West coast. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, again, sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I had made a comment to um, my husband at one point about prior to one of these trips about, you know, I, I get generalized anxiety prior to traveling. Well, I get generalized anxiety about lots of things. <laughs> but, you know, it's particular. One of the things it likes to fixate on is it likes to attach to traveling. And yeah. I was sort of, you know, processing and vocalizing this to my husband and saying, you know, like just sort of vomiting out all the stuff that I get needlessly nervous about. And one of the things was being the fat person on the plane. And, you know, his response was, well, if it makes you that uncomfortable, it stresses you out that much, why do you do it? And I kind of looked at him like he was completely <laughs> like a fucking alien from another planet. Because I think, honestly, and I know that lots of people, this is honestly how they feel, that they won't, and I, I'm not trying to dismiss anyone, you know, who want, who is like, yes, I'm so nervous and anxious and uncomfortable about the idea of being the fat person on the plane that I won't take a trip. That's fine, you know, if, if that's what you've decided. But I don't want people to make that decision because they think they can't do it. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, said to my husband that, you know, I'm like, because basically what I said, and I just blurted it out without even thinking about it, was because that would be giving up. And that would be letting, you know, this, this fucked up system win. Whereas, you know, I know that I can get on the plane, and I can be okay, and I can make the flight, and I'll be, you know, a little uncomfortable, but whatever, I, I'll, I survive it, because I've done it a billion times. Um not doing it is actually kind of inconceivable to me at this point. So I guess that kind of speaks to what you're saying, too, that, you know, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to fly anywhere because I'm fat, exclusively because I'm fat, because that, to me, is not a good reason. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't want to... I don't, I don't think wanna, it's a good reason either. I don't want to um. force that on people who aren't ready for it, but I, I kind of... Like, I would encourage people to think, is this a good reason? Because, you know, is it good to put off not just flying but other stuff, you know? Is it good to just not do stuff simply because you're afraid of something that might happen because you're fat? 
I mean, it, it's the same with going to the beach. That, like you said, people who have so much baggage around swimwear. And I mean, in fairness, I don't. I'm not totally free of baggage around swimwear. I think everyone has that. Yeah. But I just do it anyway. And I think that that it's not even a sense of you're going to. And this is kind of what I tend to say to all the people who send me these plaintive emails, is. It's not that one day you wake up and you're, like, fearless. It's that you eventually come to a place where you're like, yes, I'm scared, and I'm going to do it anyway. Exactly. And that's kind of that's kind of my point by bringing this whole topic up, mm-hmm. is that we, we all have to sort of negotiate our own position and figure out a way to, I don't know, be comfortable with that discomfort. <laughs> that was that was really clever wordplay there, Maria. <laughs> well, like I went to salsa dance class and there was a dude who would not look me in the eye, would not look at my person. He couldn't find your eyes. <laughs> Which no, like kept looking over my shoulder like he was looking at other people. I'm like, this is making it very difficult to dance. The fatness it burns. It that's part of what it felt like. And, like, that's one of the things that I knew might happen when I went to dance class is that Mm. you have people who are already super uncomfortable and, you know, (laughs) you, you have no control over who you're dancing with because you have to switch partners. And it happened. And... I had a fantastic time, and I danced with a wide variety of people, and who gives a shit about one fuckhead? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's also easy for me to say that at that, at this point, because I'm a bad person, um, who doesn't give a shit about other people's opinions, by and large. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's taking the first steps to – it's having that happen for the first time and coming out and being okay on the other side of it. Well, and I think that's something that you and I have have said very often in in various and myriad outlets, that um, whatever the worst thing that you can kind of imagine happening um, when you do something, even though you're fat, is never as bad as you envision it. Yeah. Um, It's unlikely, and I don't want to say this universal because I'm sure there are exceptions, but for the most part, it's unlikely that... You know, you going to say you go to the beach and you wear your swimsuit and some, you know, gaggle of teenage boys walks by and giggles. Um, That's, you know, that 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 can be really upsetting and, you know, make you feel like shit for a minute. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's not going to crush you. Um, You kind of have to look you kind of have to learn to take a philosophical view about this stuff that, you know, okay, say someone makes fun of me. What will what will happen as a result of being made fun of? Well, I'm not going to, you know, it's not like a black hole is going to open up and swallow me down into the earth. And you don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's that the odds of that happening on <laughs> our, a non our, our, on a non rapture day <laughs> are pretty slim. It's so. True. You know, the the really the worst thing that can happen in most of these. I mean, you can always there's always a, a tiny risk of assault, although. um that thankfully is is not you know as common as just verbal harassment um but you know i mean in general people are not going to just come up and start punching you because you're fat and if they do it's there's usually more going on with that person than um you 
being fat and drawing their ire out of someone who had no other, you know, weirdness going on in their own <laughs> head. Like, that's not just you. Um, so well, I feel- it's not just you, and chances are good people are probably you know, going to help you in that situation. Yeah, because it's unlikely, although not impossible, but unlikely that people are just going to stand by and watch you get, you know, savagely beaten um, until you are dead. Um, The vast majority of the discomfort that we experience is going to be based on verbal harassment or just on an awareness, even if it's not overt, on an awareness of, you know, sort of people like whispering or elbowing each other or whatever, which, you know, I see more than anything else these days. Yeah. Um, I don't get a whole lot of, like, loud verbal harassment anymore, which I kind of miss, but, you know, whatever. I like responding to it, but yeah. Um, even when this shit goes down, it's not devastating and it doesn't have to be. Um it's, it's, you know, you just kind of have to realize that, you know what, this is someone else who, for whatever horrible, selfish reason, has decided that I'm not allowed to be out having an okay time in the world, that they have to ruin that for me. And when you kind of phrase it like that, that it, 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 it takes away some of the power to hurt you, and it also makes the other person look kind of pathetic and sad. Yeah. Um, which is, is also useful to remember because it's very easy because we're, you know, sort of pummeled with this idea that we're, we're responsible for it. Um, it's very easy to take responsibility when someone is shitty to you um, or when circumstances are shitty to you. Like if your ass does not fit in the plane seat, um, it's very easy to be like, well, it's my ass's fault. And it's a lot easy. It's you're a lot better off if you're like, OK, this is a circumstance over which I have limited control and my ass is my ass and it's fine, you know, and it's mine. Um, if the seat does not match well with it, <laughs> whose fault really is that? You know, that it's it helps if we can learn not to internalize that responsibility and that self-loathing as much. Um, it's impo- It's pretty much impossible not to do it at all, though, I think. Yeah. Or yeah, I don't. unrealistic. Yeah, I think that you have to be realistic about these things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Realism. It's it's key. Well, I think that, you know, there's there's being realistic and they're sort of just accepting the possibility that bad thing and this is you know what, this is actually like just part of my life philosophy in general, with or without battery. Um accepting that bad things may happen and then just plowing ahead anyway. Um because I feel like, and I, I see this with a certain amount of, of retrospect in my life, because, you know, being now firmly in my mid-30s, I, I think about this shit a lot more, that, you know, there's, if, if we spend too much time kind of either putting things off or, or even just thinking like, well, you know, eventually I'll work up the courage to do that thing I've always wanted to do. Eventually I'll work up the courage to take a hip-hop class. Or eventually I'll work up the courage to hit on some hot person at a bar. Um, I don't know how to say this without sounding morbid and depressing, but that time doesn't last forever. Um, you know, there is there does come a point where it's like, wow, okay, I've spent, you know, 10 years <laughs> thinking, well, eventually I'll work up the courage to do blank. And, you know, sometimes the time is nigh. <laughs> well, here's sort of my take on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
it's not that bad things may happen. It's that bad things will happen. Yeah. That is, that, that's the nature of, of being a living person moving through the world. Bad things are gonna happen. Mm -hmm. So are good things. Yep. And if you curtail your life experiences based on the fear that bad things are happening or will happen, Bad things are going to happen to you anyway, and one mm -hmm. of those things is you're not going to get to experience the thing you wanted to experience. You are doing a bad thing to yourself. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you have to kind of balance things out and find your own place of comfort and safety. You know, it's it's the lesser of 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 two evils in that in that case. You know, because you have to take care of yourself. But, oh, hi, Arkansas. Freya. Arkansas. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. I don't know what she's barking at. I think, Freya, I, think, I think Freya is emphatically agreeing with you. I think somebody down the street may have done something radical, like leave their house. <laughs> or, or get a phone call. <laughs> she's all like, oh, my God, other people are things. <laughs> and I'm not involved. <laughs> she's like, they could do them here, and I, they wouldn't pet me. We could all learn a lesson from Freya. <laughs> but, no, I mean, I think what you just said is really profound, because I feel like that's important to realize. Staying indoors and avoiding new experiences because you're trying to stop bad things from happening doesn't work. It, they will still happen. You know, that's, that is inevitable, an inevitable part of life. And I feel like in order, fat or thin or whatever the fuck you are, in order to sort of, you know, be happy and fulfilled, you just have to accept that shit will go down and it will make me unhappy and I'm going to experience loss and I'm going to experience all kinds of ugly crap. But I'm also going to experience a lot of amazing, incredible, unfathomable pleasure and, and, and wonder in my life. And you can't, you really kind of can't have one without the other. Life is pain, Highness. <laughs> I like it when you call me Highness. <laughs> it's true, though. Not the Highness part. <laughs> it's true. It is true. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's particularly morbid to acknowledge that we're all going to die. You know, we have no idea when, as a general rule. Hang on, hang on. Let me put on a Cure song. <laughs> I was going to go for some Bauhaus. <laughs> that too. We'll put together a death mix. Oh, I like it. You're going to have to find something gothy for the intro and outro to this this episode. No, but I don't think it's particularly morbid is the thing to acknowledge that we're all going to die. We have a finite time mm -hmm. in which to experience anything. And in as much as we can, you know, given our circumstances and what we are able to do, you know, to, to, to keep ourselves safe. Um, and, and that sort of thing, we have to take risks. Mm -hmm. 
that's the only way you accomplish anything. I think, I mean, for me, and I can obviously only speak to my own life experience, I went through some interesting phases with that, where in my late teens and 20s, I would do pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, I moved to a new city 1,500 miles away from where I grew up and where I it knew no one. Uphill both ways. When, well, I mean, seriously, when I, when I, after I had graduated from college and was in grad school for a couple of years and, you know, I was pretty well situated in Boston and I sort of thought about that. I thought about the fact that when I was 18, I picked up and moved to a pretty unfamiliar city for college where I had no family. I had no, you know, sort of local safety net. I mean, I always had my family back home in Florida, but. You know, there was nobody sort of immediately around to help me. I didn't know anyone that I was going to school with. Um, The fact that I did that was incredibly fucking courageous. And, you know, as I got into my later 20s, I kind of thought, like, I can't even imagine doing that now. And there was sort of a sadness in that was realizing, like, you know, I'm I'm sort of, I'm I'm a rootsy sort of person. I like to, I'm not a, a, a constant, you know, sort of roamer. I like to settle down in a place. Um, you know, I've been in Boston for a ridiculous, almost as long as I was in Florida now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, even given that, you know, I, I kind of felt like I can't imagine just picking up and, and moving to New York where I, without knowing people there or moving to Seattle without knowing people there. Like, I can't. I couldn't even fathom it at that point. And that was only a few years later (laughs) that I was thinking that way. And, you know, there was lots of other stuff, like in my teens and 20s. Like, there was shit that I wore back then where now it's not even like, oh, I was so unstylish or whatever. I think I was pretty fucking stylish. Um, I was just sort of amazed that I had the the bravery to do it. Um, You know, that, like, I would literally, like, go around by myself late at night in the city and, like, like a micro mini and like exposed garters and ripped fishnets and shit and and was totally and was routinely you know sort of uh, like hit on by dudes in passing cars and just sort of was like whatever you know I mean there's a certain there's a certain stupidity that you have at that age that is kind of refreshing because it it's like you don't you know you don't know enough to be scared of shit and, you know, that you have that, you know, you still particularly like when I was like 19, I still had that sort of immortal sense that that immortal teenager thing going on. And there's parts of me that look back and are like, wow, I was an idiot because <laughs> like I could have gotten into so much trouble. And I'm so, you know, thank thanks to the God that looks out for drunks and, and all of those other people who need looking out for, um, <laughs> you know, like. That sort of amazes me. But at the same time, there was something really kind of cool about it, too, was that, you know, I didn't have that sort of reluctance to try new things. And even now, I don't really have it's I have a reluctance that's different. You know, like I'm I'm not interested in packing up and moving. Well, actually, now I'm I'm kind of open to the idea of moving to a new city. Like at this point, I don't know why. Orlando's which, delightful. Because I'm just I, I mean, I actually own like a home yeah <laughs> maybe that's why maybe i'm like oh okay this went a little too far <laughs> <laughs> did i tell you we talked about like we actually looked at some houses and you then, guys are always looking at houses though no, we talked to some agents oh okay like formally and, yes and then i was like you know what 
I'm going to throw up. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> like contemplating. And I mean, the market in Orlando is, um, I don't know that it's at rock bottom, but I mean, there's some really nice houses for some really cheap prices. So Most it's a good Florida. time to buy. I just am like, oh, that's, that's a big commitment. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So, so, yeah, well, I mean, it is. It is. It really, and I, I mean, I didn't really think it through when we did it. I was just kind of like, I really like this place. I really want to live here. And I, I don't regret it at all. I mean, we've been yeah. here for many years now, and I'm I'm still happy with it. But, you know, I have these moments where I'm like, well, if one of us got a job in a different city, I would probably go. As opposed to historically, it was always like, oh, shit, if Dennis got a job in some other city, um, I would like cry and sob and and be devastated at the idea. But I'm kind of, you know, I think my point, my really long winded and unfocused point is that we go through, at least I have, I don't want to say everyone does, but I feel like a lot of us go through phases in our lives where we are more willing to take risks and phases where we just sort of want to nest down in our little safe routines. And I think that both are okay as long as you're not feeling completely claustrophobic about it. You know, as long as you're never feeling like I I really, really passionately want to take golf lessons, but I'm convinced that I can't do it just because I, you know, am not a slender white lady golfer, which I don't know why I thought of golf. <laughs> because golf is awesome. <laughs> is why you thought of golf. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important to note, too, I mean, there are some risks that you may never feel comfortable taking, but we don't have to be willing to take all of the risks all of the time. Right. Like, you, it... I mean, I, I'm like talking about picking up and moving across country is, is one kind of risk, mm-hmm. which is different from, I don't know, packing up and trying a new coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that, that's a different thing. So I think it is, I think it is possible for people to like guilt themselves and feel bad and, oh, I don't go out enough on Friday night and so I'm a terrible person mm-hmm. well maybe you're just a person who doesn't want to go out on a Friday night and that's yeah. okay too you know maybe the risk for you is acknowledging that and doing what you want to do with your Friday nights instead and yeah, that's a really really good point because that is kind of a risk of telling your friends you know what I'm not that interested in going out and getting boozed up, you know, and and macking on some douchey guy at the bar um, just because that's what we, you know, we always do. You know, maybe I want to stay home and watch a movie or read a book or have a brilliant philosophical conversation about the nature of life in the universe with, you know, a couple of good friends. Like, there is, you know, like you said, that's that's sort of a managed risk as well. It's it's. And I think what we keep coming back to here is valuing valuing yourself and your own desires and wishes enough to actually speak them and stand by them. Because that does require a certain level. I hate the word self-esteem because I feel like it's so overused. But it does require a certain amount of self-esteem and self-worth 
that I feel like I am worth expressing what I really want out of this situation or what I'd really like to accomplish here. What and, about not even self-esteem, but self-regard? Yeah. You know, I am concerned enough about myself to take care of myself, which means I'm doing this shit. Yeah. I value myself and my own, you know, deepest hidden longings <laughs> enough <laughs> To, you know, actually speak them out. And this actually works even, you know, that sort of went to a sexual place, but that works too. That, you know, it's it's very similar if, you know, you want to experiment with a lover. You know, it's the kind of thing where you have to learn to that whatever you're thinking of is not shameful or bad or, or dumb. It's, you know, it's something that you want and you have to value it before you can actually say it to someone without being that sort of stereotypical self-effacing, like, oh, I had this idea, but it's probably really stupid, and you won't ever want to do it, and I'm dumb for even bringing it up. Which is really not selling me on trying it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The, um... Fuck. Oh, we... <laughs> I'm like, I have Yeah! <laughs> and now it's back. And I think... In situations like that, one of the things that keeps people from speaking up is the fear of loss. Yeah. You know, not just the fear that somebody's going to laugh at you, but the fear that you're going to lose this person. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's a little more difficult to negotiate, like if this is your first relationship or, you know, you you don't have a lot of... Um, a lot of confidence in a relationship or you're just afraid of being alone. Mm -hmm. But I really truly firmly believe that anybody who is going to leave you because you're interested in something they are not, you're better off without that person. Yeah. I mean, anybody that you have to, if you have to stifle yourself that much mm -hmm. and be afraid of of consequences in that regard that's that's not love that's emotional manipulation mm -hmm. um i have a lot of problems with the way romantic love is set up for us in our society at this point and that's one of the things that that bothers me a lot mm -hmm. so yeah no i totally agree i think that that's um kind of a critical aspect that you know you have to if the person that you're with doesn't value you enough to take you seriously um that's a problem yeah no matter how much you like them yeah <laughs> it's you because you want to stay home and have a philosophical debate over a bottle of wine on a friday night mm -hmm. then there are lots of other people yeah who would rather have that conversation even if it's on fucking tumblr mm-hmm you know, you don't have to conform to other people's wishes if it goes that much against your grain. I mean, we all make compromises, but you shouldn't have to compromise that much. If you're uncomfortable with the compromise, it's probably not a compromise. Yeah. And that's generally, I mean, if you're in, generally speaking, I feel like in healthy relationships, be they romantic or friend, like friendships, um, if you know, both people have to care enough about 
achieving an agreeable outcome in order to be willing to make certain sacrifices. Yes. And if you feel like this compromise is not, you know, if you're really uncomfortable with it, then it's it doesn't count as a compromise. You're being forced <laughs> to do something that you don't want to do. A compromise would allow you to feel like, okay, I have, of my own free will, made the sacrifice, like say we're talking about going to a party, and I don't want to go to the party, but Marianne really wants to go to the party. Um, you know, I might say, okay, I'll go with you, but let's only stay for two hours. And Marianne, even though Marianne may well have wanted to stay until, you know, the morning light came breaking over the dawn, um, you know, she might say, you know what, because I care about Leslie, I'm willing to say, okay, um, she's willing to go for two hours. That that demonstrates a, a willingness to compromise on her part. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. And that is something that, you know, like, yeah, I'm pro- I might still be uncomfortable and unhappy about having to go for two hours, but if I'm, I shouldn't be resenting it because that's, you know, something that I, you know, sort of a sacrifice that I said I'm willing to make. Not Marianne saying, well, we're going, but we'll just go for two hours and you'll fucking like it. <laughs> Which I could see her doing because Marianne is mean. <laughs> the face I am making at you, <laughs> you guys don't know. <laughs> I think they know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't force you to go. That would be wrong. But that's what I'm saying. That's part of. But that's a healthy. A healthy exchange like that is when, you know, if I could feel like, and I run into this, I mean, we all run into this with our partners, that there's something that's important to them that, you know, we really are not that keen on. But, you know, you make a compromise. And as long as it's a compromise that comes from a place where, yes, I'm willing to do this, and, you know, not the partner saying, well, you have to do this and I won't hear otherwise about it, then, you know, I think I think you're doing okay. Yeah. And I think we have to make those compromises with ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Um, it is not that I have social anxiety per se. It is that I tend to sometimes worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I do that. I do that big time. Yeah. So I can be totally looking forward to an event and at the same time, Figuring out different excuses to not go. (laughs) And sometimes I have to make deals with myself because I know I am going to have a great time once I get there. Mm -hmm. I just have to get something, you know, something that's going to get me out the door. You got to get over the hump. Yes, over the the inertia hump in some cases. And I think it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like that's the thing. If if I lose somebody because they want me to actually be an entirely different person, that sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks less than trying to be an entirely different person. Yeah, I am not very good at that. Tried it, didn't work. Funnily enough, <laughs> so I mean, it's. I, it it is it's it's one of those things where yes this is not great it's it's uncomfortable and sad but it's better in the long run mm-hmm. you know you kind of have to sometimes take that long view even though i don't think it comes naturally to us 
I feel like sometimes the discomfort itself is sort of weirdly productive. Um, you know, like if I'm going someplace um, on my own, like I think I'm trying to think of an example that that is apt. Um, actually, kind of like the first time ever that I went to redress, um, I was by myself. I was in the city for something or other, and um, I sort of went in and I was really uncomfortable because I'm like, uh, I don't know if who's going to be working or if anyone will know me and I'm going to feel awkward because I'm going to be like, I'm Leslie who has a blog and people will be like, who? Oh. <laughs> and I'll be like, never mind. <laughs> I and feel like that every time I meet someone from the internet, even <laughs> if we have gotten along fabulously well on the internet. Like they're going to meet you and be like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, you know, that, that discomfort, you know, there's, there's, there's a certain, and maybe I'm weird, like this, um, maybe this isn't something that other people experience, but I feel like when I push through that discomfort and I get my ass out the door and I go to the place, even as, as miserable and anxious as I may be on the way, once I've done it, I feel this enormous sense of accomplishment. Like, even if it doesn't work out that great, um, I mean, redress was an exception because that was awesome and, you know, like, <laughs> it, it turned out to be fabulous, but... You know, like that was, but that's, that's also a possible outcome that you can yeah. go and you can be nervous as hell and then it turns out to be great. Yes. And even if it's not great, you get to sit there thinking, wow, I was really fucking anxious about this and I almost didn't come, but I pushed through it and I made myself do it and I'm so proud of myself right now. And I've had that experience a bunch of times in my life. Um, particularly, um, the, the most vivid that I'm remembering now is in, Middle school. This is a weird story. Like, I don't know why this just come, came into my head just now. I'm so but, glad you're going to tell it. Yeah. Um, in middle school, I had a lot of social issues, um, which actually I started to document on my blog and I kind of stopped because it was it was like it was kind of like making me a little weird in the head um, because I actually journaled and and fictionalized some of it. Right. Um, which is kind of amazing to me that it, and I did, I fictionalized this at the time. Like, I'm not talking about like 10 years later, I wrote this fictional account. No, I fictionalized, I wrote it like it's this little yes. novella at the time, which I, I was such a weird child, Marianne. I really was. I was, I was like the biggest nerd ever. Um, well, maybe not ever, but I was a pretty big nerd. I was um, going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not judging because, <laughs> yeah. Well, in in middle school, we did, I think this was in the seventh grade, and, um, you know, the friends that I did have basically hated me, and I didn't really have any other friends who didn't, and, I mean, people who've been in middle school are going like, oh, yeah, I remember what it was like when you had friends, but they hated you, because um, <laughs> that's something that, you know, middle school Happens girls, middle school. middle school girls do that to each other, I'm sure boys do it too, but I think, I feel like girls are extra, extra vicious about it. And we were doing a school trip to Disney World, which um, I don't know what the fuck the academic value of going to Disney World was, um, but whatever, we were we going. We justified it by going to Epcot because well, Epcot we didn't. Is no, we didn't. But that's that's just it, though. We didn't go to Epcot. We went to Magic Kingdom. Well, physics. <laughs> I like I like that. Well, this also was way back in the day before, like, like my this was back when you could like pull a kid out of school for a week to go on vacation, and people were just like, eh. <laughs> like well, now, I think, I think now it's also worth telling people that when you grow up in Florida, 
sometimes your school just takes you to Disney World. It's true. It's not, yeah, and that's that's also worth noting. I mean, we were like three hours from Disney World, so it's not like this was an epic trip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I and I feel like now, particularly like when I was doing teaching, and I don't know if maybe this is worse in Massachusetts than anywhere else, but when I was doing my um, my practicum, um, I was astonished that like kids whose parents wanted to take them out for a week to go on a vacation needed like to fill out twenty different forms in advance and like had to jump through all these hoops to make them excused absences and if they weren't excused then that could impact whether their kid actually advanced to the next grade and yep. like there was this and I remember sitting there being like wow um I used to get pulled out of school all the time my dad would be like hey we're going on vacation see ya <laughs> <laughs> and my school would be like all right. <laughs> That was that. So yeah. So I'm. Um, I anyway. Um, and you'd come back and you'd get makeup work, but really yeah. it would be like three workbook pages, and you're like, it took people a week to do this. What? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then like, you wondered what was what was wrong with your life and what it all meant. <laughs> and I'm already like you know six chapters ahead of the rest of the class yeah. in the books we're reading anyway. <laughs> so anyway, um, that yeah. may have had something to do with it actually. Anyway, um, we did the school trip. We went to Disney World, and I. Anyone who knows me at all knows that I have a special relationship with Disney World. And this special relationship has gone back to, like, before middle school, basically. That I I really, and even now, you know, old lady that I am, I have a mad, mad, mad love for Disney World. And it's very important to me that I enjoy. It is the happiest place on Earth. It is. And it was kind of critical to me that I not be stuck walking around Disney World with these horrible bitches who hated me. Because I knew what would happen is they would spend the whole day basically making fun of me and mocking me and making me feel like shit. And I would be like, oh, my God, I'm in Disney World and it's ruined. Um, You know, and when you're 14, that kind of thing is like I should just lay down and just die and just, you know, wait for a bus to run me over or something because my life is not worth going on at this point. Because that's, you know, like... Because you're 14. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So, um... We were going on this trip, and the whole bus ride, I kept thinking I was I was hatching this plan. And my plan was basically to ditch my friends. <laughs> and I was nervous as hell because when, you know, again, this is an age where if you don't have sort of a little group of friends, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a clique, but, you know, without a group of friends, what the fuck are you? Like, you know, you there is no point of reference for your identity to some extent. That, well, you know, you're also a target. Yes, exactly. Because there's safety in numbers. So the whole bus, I'm psyching myself up. And I know I'm making this story really long, which my husband always gives me a hard time about, but I don't care. Um, Psyching myself up. The whole bus ride, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ditch my friends. I'm going to ditch my friends. I was nervous as hell. Like, I was nervous, like, shaking, nervous, freaking out. And we get in, we get our tickets, we get through the front gates of Magic Kingdom, and anyone who's been to the Magic Kingdom knows when you walk in, you kind of walk under this, you're basically walking under the train station, um, but there's like this hallway, and there's posters, and then there's like lockers, and I think there's bathrooms upstairs or whatever. And it's and awesome. It is, of course. Well, everything there is awesome, but even the little entryway is awesome. And we get into the entryway, and I as I had planned, manufactured some excuse, like, hey, guys, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to run to the bathroom. Um, and just sort of dropped back a little bit thinking, there's no way, we're at Disney World, there's no way they're going to wait right here for, you know, if if I disappear for 10 minutes. So I go upstairs at the train station and stand at the railing and basically look down, and they stood there for, I think, maybe two minutes and, you know, we're all talking, and then they, I guess they probably, I mean, you know, flitty girls were probably yeah. like, what are we, what are we waiting for? Let's go. So they went, 
And I remember standing there watching him walk away and being like, I'm free. (laughs) (laughs) And this was in direct violation of the instructions. Like, we were supposed to be with at least two people at all times because they were basically setting us free in Disney World. Um, Which is another thing they don't do. Right. No. You don't Um, get a gaggle of middle schoolers loose in however many acre theme park. uh (laughs) Yeah. But so I was not only defying my my horrible bitchy friends, but I was defying the authority, uh, you know, the school authority. So I I hung up, I hung out up there for probably like a good twenty thirty minutes, just waiting for everybody to make sure all the teachers and everyone was like deeper into the park. And damned if I didn't come downstairs and walk through and have an awesome fucking time at Disney World all by myself. It was actually kind of amazing, and I was really, I was always sort of a loner as a kid, which I've talked about before, um, but it was one of those, you know, we've talked so much in this this particular cast about, um, you know, knowing what you need, and, and sort of being feeling justified in that, and I, it was an early experience of knowing that, you know what, in this circumstance, I kind of need to be on my own. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I was responsible. I was an enormously responsible kid, and, and it wasn't like I was a kid who would get into trouble by being alone. Um, and I, you know, was fully conscious of that. So I'm like, well, you know, this isn't a safety thing because I'm not, you know, a kid who can't be trusted to have time to herself because I've been doing it for, well, I've been doing it for a few years at that point, yeah. honestly. Um, so, you know, that, you know, like knowing I need this time to myself, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to go and I'm going to defy everyone and go and have a good time anyway based on what I need to do in this situation. And it was this, I know, again, I know this is a really long story, but it was a really critical moment for me of realizing even when what I need is unpopular or is confusing or other people can't understand it, it's still important to, if I'm recognizing this is what I need right now, it's important to go with that. Yeah. And to trust myself that, you know what, if I know, if my gut is telling me this is going to be the best thing that I can do right now for my own sanity and for my enjoyment of this day, I'm going to go with it. Yes. And that was what I did. And little, can you imagine a little 14-year-old me toddling around in Disney World? I can, actually, <laughs> and I'm so proud. I think I rode the People Mover like five times in a row. Oh, I love the fucking People Mover. It's the best. The People Mover oh. is so unre- un- underrated. <laughs> Which is a damn shame because it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Say, I also really like Disney, y'all. I'm, it's a thing. I don't think you can, like... I don't know. I don't think you can grow up in Florida and not have some kind of positive memory of Disney. Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people I've talked to up here, when I talk about the frequency with which I went to Disney World growing up, they look at me like, was your dad a millionaire? Because, you know, when you grow up other places, that's like, that's like the freaking holy grail of like childhood. Family vacation. yeah, Yeah, like getting to go to Disney World. And I, I, I feel so fortunate that I got to take it for granted and it wasn't even that my dad was a millionaire because he certainly was not um it was that it was three hours away and Florida residents get a big fat discount (laughs) so you know they make it very easy to go a lot and uh, did you go to grad night oh my god I did I think we talked about this before because it was it was kind of a horrifying experience (laughs) 
I think we did talk about it. Because of the cockroach. I told you about the cockroach. Yes, yes, yes. Well, technically it was a palmetto bug, which is well, even more terrifying. Yeah. For people who don't know, palmetto bugs are basically, imagine a giant cockroach that flies. And That's one of them terrible. flew into my hair. And, and then all of my, my, the three dudes that I was with, all of whom would later turn out to be gay, with big surprise there, because <clears throat> those that pretty much happened to pretty much every guy that I dated or even was friends with <laughs> as a teenager. I, I don't know if it was me. Um, yeah, basically ref- screamed and refused to help me get the fucking bug out of my hair. So I had, had to man up <laughs> and, get, and pull this bug out of my hair in like several chunks. It was disgusting. That's all I remember about crying. <laughs> Yeah. I only brought it up as like, yeah, you know, when you're in Florida, Disney really is like this all pervasive thing. Yeah. But I've been distracted by the Palmetto book story and it's terrible. (laughs) I'm like examining my ceiling. The other night I was laying on the sofa and I didn't have any clothes on because I didn't feel good. And somehow Mm -hmm. not wearing any clothes is my expression of that. Like being in the living room naked. I'm like, I don't feel good. I don't have to wear pants. Fuck all of you. And Ed's like, D- don't look up. Oh, God. And I'm like, why? He's Why like, would you say that? Because it's going to make you look up. I know. And he's like, in fact, you should just move. <laughs> and so I moved and then I screamed because there was an enormous palmetto bug flying around the ceiling above where my oh. naked self had been sitting. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was it was kind of fucking horrible. Just to, to explain um, two things: one, to people who are confused about Grad Night, Grad <laughs> Night, Grad Night is basically they open up the Magic Kingdom at Disney World. They do it repeated nights over the course of like you know, usually it's like June. Yeah, the um, end of the school year. Yes, the end of the school year, and they open up the Magic Kingdom from like. It's from like 11 to like 5 in the morning or something. And all of the, you know, high school seniors, and this, like I said, this happens, they sort of rotate through schools. Um, High school seniors who, you know, have the the money to be able to afford, because obviously you have to pay, um, get to go. But it's super discounted. It is. It's very cheap. It's not expensive. But, you know, I I did know a couple of kids who couldn't go. Yeah. Um, Just because I, well, I also think they spent like $400 on prom dresses, which I did not do. Um. So, yeah, so, um, you, uh, they basically set these seniors loose in the Magic Kingdom overnight. And, and there's bands. Yeah, there's, ba- there's like music playing and you can go on rides and you just hang out and it's like a, a, you know, big hurrah for high school seniors in Florida and some places in southern Georgia, like a, few, a couple other yeah. southern areas that will bust, you know, kids down for it. Um, yeah, so uh, that was, for whatever reason, the night that we went, there was a palmetto bug infestation, which actually happens sometimes in Florida. I haven't seen it often. I'm sure you've seen it occasionally. Yep. Where you'll go somewhere, and there will literally be thousands of palmetto bugs. And keep in mind, palmetto bugs are big. Like, how big would you say the average palmetto bug is? Um, I would say the average palmetto bug is two inches long, at yeah. least. Yeah, if not bigger. Yeah, they can be bigger, but I don't think they're smaller. 
Yeah, no, they're never smaller. They're usually at least two inches. I've seen them as big as, as three or four. Yeah. Um, which is especially terrifying because oh. that's that's like getting to a point where it's oh. like, like that's almost as big as my hand. <laughs> yeah. Which is extra terrifying. But there there are weird little times where there will just be like an infestation of these bugs. I remember seeing one at a movie theater parking lot. Like we came out, went to the movies and we came out and again, I was a teenager and the parking lot was like a sea of palmetto bugs. Oh. And like cars are driving by and crushing them. And so part of it was like palmetto bug soup, like in the actual, and it was horrifying. I was like, why is this happening? Like I, I seriously was like, let's just go back in and sleep in the movie theater because I want to forget that this ever happened. And that was one example. Well, the night that we went to grad night at Magic Kingdom, they were having a palmetto bug problem because there were, it wasn't everywhere, but that was part of why one flew in my hair because there were particularly like Adventureland area. Um, they were like, there were lots and lots of them. And it was it was kind of horrifying. I mean, I'm sure there were good things that happened that night, too. But that's <laughs> all I remember is the bug in my hair and my friends screaming and running, literally running away from me <laughs> because I had the bug in my hair. <sighs> I will never forgive them for that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, seriously, like, I actually hold a grudge, and I still talk I'm to I'm, like, guys. immortalized in podcasts. Yeah, like, I, I, I still talk to these guys on Facebook and shit, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, no. Yeah. Never, never, never forget. <laughs> Paul Meadowbug, 1995, <laughs> never forget. <laughs> oh, it's just so terrible. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think so. um I think we have we have done our hour. <laughs> I think we have made our point though yeah. as Sorry well. For the, the little tangent back there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh but, god, my skin is crawling. But yeah. Risk, I blame you. Risk <laughs> it's important to take risks even when you risk um being attacked by a palmetto bug because you know, at the very least I got a great story out of it. Yeah. And also, I was, again, pretty proud of myself for having the, and you have to understand how terrified I am of these bugs, that I actually had the, um, mustered the courage to pull it out of my own hair with my bare hand. Yeah, that's the part that grosses me out. Yeah. Because they come apart. They do. They, they're not, they do not have much structural integrity. <laughs> they come apart basically like, 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 like pudding wrapped in a leaf. Oh, that's <laughs> really accurate. And with that delightful, <laughs> delightful I'm sorry, visual. y'all. I meant for this to be uplifting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have been listening to Fatcast. <laughs> I am Leslie Kinzel. And I am totally disgusted. <laughs> also, okay. Marianne Kirby. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for listening, guys. Bye.